Hello, everybody, and welcome again to Wednesday Night Live. This is Ron Crawford coming to you from the Father's Church in Dallas, Texas. And it is a tremendous blessing to be able to reach out to our Saints Network family, not only here in the United States, but in so many other wonderful nations throughout our world. This is a rather unusual time frame for the Saints Network and our ministry before God as intercessors and sons. And here we are in the middle of the month of July, this seventh month that for many years we have tried to hear from God and apply prophetic points of obedience to what Zechariah spoke about in Zechariah chapter 8 regarding the fast of feasting. And I recognize that in Zechariah's day, they were dealing with some unique factors. They were in Babylon at the conclusion of that 70-year period wherein uh, the people had failed miserably in the land which God had given them, and he just sent them into Babylon as a punishment, as a corrective measure, as a as a, uh, a fruit of their sinful actions. And so Zechariah was giving very tangible instructions from God as to what the people should do in preparing their hearts and their minds, their, their perceptions prior to returning to Jerusalem. So I recognize that that is a, a temporal instruction. But if we're, if we're going to dismiss the Word of God simply because we say it is a, a temporal instruction and it, it doesn't have um, it doesn't have any application for us it was for that time frame if we're going to say that we might as well just chunk out all the word of God because Jesus spoke to people uh, during a day that was leading up to the crucifixion and and the resurrection and ascension and you know that was for those people so what does it do for us or David spoke in this setting or that setting it certainly doesn't apply to us we, we would have no end to that revisionist removal of what, um, of what the Scripture says as principles for us today. So I view this commandment to Zechariah as a, a divine word of wisdom to all of us, and especially for uh, as an ongoing 
principle, but especially applied when you come to a point in the timetable of the Lord where you know a breakthrough is about to happen, where you sense in your spirit from God that some measure of partnership with him has led you to a specific point and therefore God is saying it is time. And so the principles of Zechariah are lasting. They are godly. And we apply them, even though some of the factors are very much different, the principles remain true and salient for us. So this month of July, though, in 2021, has been an unusual pursuit of this, of this measure found in Zechariah because we have basically set aside the entirety of the month to go point by point in the directive um, from Zechariah 8 and we've looked at various facets of it throughout the month thus far and here in Dallas we are coming together to pray as a congregation in the evening uh, pertaining to the specific point of understanding a deeper dive into the understanding that God has given us for that day and we've never done that before and I, I feel the urgency of the Spirit in, in a profound way. And I truly do believe that God is, um, is preparing us for the immediacy of not only breakthrough, but fulfillment of many of the things that we, through prayer, have been believing Him for. So just as a brief recap, this is the closest thing to a series <laughs> that you'll ever find here at the Father's Church because normally we, we just simply try to listen to the Lord and receive with each time of teaching what it is that he's saying for us to declare, to teach about, and we don't lay out in advance, okay, for the next six weeks, we're going to look at how John cooked his locust and wild honey. You know, we, we, didn't, we don't ever do that. So this is the closest to a series, but it's really not a series. It is, a, it is an active measure of partnering with God, submitting ourselves for a strong measure of visitation and fulfillment that is on the doorstep. And so thus far we have considered that the four months, fourth, fifth, seventh, and tenth that Zechariah speak of were commemorations of dark days in the history of the people that led them into Babylonian captivity. And the people over the decades had submitted those four months as filled with ungodly sorrow, mourning, complaint, I'm sure, against God, instead of looking to say, 
why are we here in Babylon? What did we do that was not acceptable to God, and how should we submit ourselves to him? It would be like somebody who did something wrong, and they come to you, and instead of apologizing and saying like the prodigal, you know, I've sinned against heaven and before you, make me as one of your servants, uh, I have sinned. Uh, instead of saying that, they're saying, boy, you sure made my life miserable. Look at this thing, and I'm having to endure it, and, you know, I'll never forget what this felt like and what that felt like, and I don't understand why you did this. That's pretty much what the people were doing, and God had enough of it, and finally he said, you're not, you're, that viewpoint has never been acceptable to me. You've made these months as ungodly sorrow, and and you should have been making them repentance and communing with me. And that's really the latter is what um, Zechariah is receiving from God. How should you approach these months? How should you be coming before me? And I would just add uh, another brief thought to this. You know, there's, there's a key to these four months regarding our, our personal lives. I have known some people who commemorate tragedies almost like they are birthdays or wedding anniversaries. And, you know, it's like as soon as the month and the day rolls around, they, they put on their sackcloth and ashes and just let everybody know how heartbroken they are for all these years. And I, and, and I know that that signifies, uh, it could signify a number of things. But really none of them are going to help you today. And certainly none of them are going to assist you in moving forward. And God says for, you know, press on to the new. The past is the past. There's nothing you can do to, to recapture it, no matter how hard you try. And when you commemorate sorrowful things, it just shows that you, you have not moved forward. And there are a lot of reasons for that. I'm not trying to condemn anybody. But in some ways... Deep wounds sometimes take a while to heal. But one of the things I've learned, especially when I was a little boy, is that if you keep digging at an old wound, it will never heal. And you should learn lessons from the past, not relive them. Um, but beyond that, some people just like attention. Now, I'm not saying everybody. Don't, don't get on your offended hat. But some people really like attention, and they love to bring up their sad story. And it, it brings them a measure of, oh, poor you. And I don't have a whole lot of patience for that either. I mean, there comes a time where you have to step forward and go into the new day. Because having an albatross of a dead past hanging around your neck is not appealing. It is not beneficial. And in fact, it might 
bring measures of death and and unwelcomed challenges to your life and so the people had baptized themselves for decades in negative commemoration of their 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 demise in being brought out from Jerusalem and God said I've had enough of that don't do that anymore it's 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 only separating you from me and it is destroying the fabric of of who you are so that's the significance of those four months we've taught about this in the past we've looked at each of them and drawn parallels to circumstances in our lives that's not our motive for this particular teaching God says in Zechariah 8 19 I better read the scripture some purist is going to say he didn't even read the word thus says the Lord of hosts the fast of the fourth month the fast of the fifth the fast of the seventh and the fast of the tenth shall be to the house of Judah joy and gladness and cheerful feasts and therefore love the truth and peace our message today is love the truth and peace so what was a cheerful peace feast we talked about this on this past Sunday we shared that it is really a dedication to the purity of God's purpose and it's embracing a moment that the Greek Septuagint translated as being commensurate with a kairos moment. And if you didn't hear that message from Sunday, you need to easily go into the archive here and listen to it. You can even go on Spotify and hear it at double time. So do that. But in conjunction with that kairos moment, the, the joy and gladness, which we spoke about last Wednesday night, um, normally the progression is Simcha and Sesson, but when there was a messianic moment or a point of breakthrough and deliverance, the, there was a reversal of that in Scripture. So it was Sesson and Simcha. Instead of the anticipation of a moment and then finally the fulfillment of the season, the advent and the arrival of the season, now the season is here, and how do you, how do you respond accordingly? So that's where we are, and uh, essentially as a recap of all of that, as a synergy of all of that, God says, let's look forward into the new. Let's embrace his timetable. Let's realize that God is about to move, and he's moving right now. So stop looking backward. Stop having perverse thoughts about what your condition in life is or what you think I have not done for you and start looking forward in a belief. So he says then, love the truth and peace. Next week, God willing, we'll be speaking about the execution of truth in the gates. But for today, love the truth and peace. Now, there, these are three factors 
love, the truth, and peace. Each one of them a profound definition in the framework of, of how God wants us to act. Truth is emet, which is literally the fulfillment of the aman. It is the word that is used to describe the faithfulness of God and it, it is used to really be the operative term for faith or belief in the Old Testament. And again, these teachings are readily available. But uh, for now, I'll just reference one instance when Moses gained the command from God to go and speak to the rock, to prophesy to the rock so that water could come out. Instead, he disobeyed God and said, um, you rebels, you know the story. And he hit the rock instead of speaking to it. And God said, because you did not believe me to sanctify me in front of these people. Belief is this measure of aman. And what God says to a person at the right hand. At the right hand, that's what aman means. And emet is the fulfillment of whatever that is. So once again, hearing a promise, believing, and fulfillment. That is such an interesting concept to me because it's throughout the scripture and it, and it speaks about why Jesus, when he rose from the dead and ascended into heaven, went and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. The right hand represents commune, fellowship with God, prophetic insight, the command from God, and the willingness to, from that point, do what he says to do and go then toward the fulfillment or what would be represented by the left. The right is so important. It's the beginning of, of things. And it's the place where we commune with God. And when Jesus sat at the right hand of the Father and he is there established, he's praying for you and for me to fulfill the will of the Father. And um, he also has guaranteed any, anyone, who is born again can come to that place and spend time with the Heavenly Father and to become impacted by His command and to really gain a measure of what faith is. Abram, also this term was used to describe Abram's walk with God and so forth. Um, I, I'm, just, I'm just amazed as you see this in Scripture and how many Christians, and I've been one for almost 60 years now, are totally oblivious to this concept. And it's everywhere in the Scripture. People think faith is simply applying Scriptures and declarations to get whatever you want or some kind of trust 
in God that as you wander on the pathways of life, waiting for the rapture or death, whichever comes first, that God will protect you. You have faith in that. But faith is really something else. Faith is being in partnership with God. And that is rooted at what the right hand of fellowship and commune represents. That's what, that's what faith is. And the fulfillment of faith, which is not a one-off, it's not an end, it's, it's we walk, we continue to walk by faith from one glory to the next, but the fulfillment of whatever it is that whatever particular thing you've been partnering with God in, that fulfillment is um, is really the essence of Emet. So here, Zechariah, through the Holy, uh, on behalf of the whole of the Lord of Hosts, says that you should love truth. What does love mean here? This is Ahab. It's um, it's really used in negative ways in the scripture as well as some positive. It's a pursuit of something. It is almost a, it can be a lust for something. It, it's what a gluttonous person would do toward food or some other thing that they're wanting to acquire that that focus that radar that it's it's not quite an addiction but it's the fuel of it to where you've got to have this it's like it's almost like the the passion of a crush but it's it's deeper because in this context you want the fulfillment of God's partnership and truth more than anything. I wonder about that in our lives. Do we really love that place at the right hand of God? Do we really love what he has chosen to extend to us? Do we, do we really have that kind of drive to make that the priority above all things in our life? That's a good question for each of us. Do we love the Amet? Do we love that place, that commune with God? Or is it just something that we recognize the importance of and uh, we do it now and then? We, we, we juggle it. And the thing about this term for love, when you have that kind of a, of a pursuit, nothing else really matters. But what so often happens is we, for whatever reason, can become tepid in our understanding of this deep principle and we then don't do that pursuing 
in the way that we should. And it's arguable whether the scripture, if you, you shall seek me, you'll find me when you seek for me with your whole heart, is really in play. Are we really going to find God? Are we, are we really going to, unless we search for him with everything that's in us? Now, I do know in life you have to balance things. I mean, it was easy. I remember many years ago when we first started to, when we were first touched by the Spirit of the Lord and put on this pathway as a saint and as sons and praying in diversities of tongues and interpreting what God was saying and understanding the deeper things of His Word. I remember every other thing took a secondary position. But I've learned over the years that really you you have to and only God can help you to do this. You have to I what word can I use? You prioritize God. That's really the main thing. Because other things gain priority. They do. Uh, people that I saw who wouldn't miss certain opportunities to be with the Lord, now there are other cards in their deck that trump that. I'm the pastor. I watch things. I'm not judging anybody, but it's my position as an overseer to observe these things, and I've sure seen it. Is God a priority? Yeah, you still have things you have to do. You, you just, in life, you have to do it, especially if you're married, if you, if you have kids, if you have grandkids. But you can do those things and still find the priority of knowing God at the right hand. Now, Jesus would find time regularly to separate himself, to go up into a mountain or to be apart from the disciples so that he could spend this priority with God because it's, it's a very difficult thing to do when you're around other people all the time. You know, Peter, the big stalwart, one that would help the brethren, uh, John, the lover, son of thunder, the, the one who had his head on Jesus' breast, all of those mighty paragons of virtue, Mary, who loved much because God had delivered her. They were all there. But yet Jesus, even in that august crowd, had to get away and spend time with God alone. We have to, I, this is the term I didn't want to use because it sounds really robotic, but we have to manage that. We have to take responsibility for that because here's another thing. When other, thing, when other aspects of our life take priority, not only is that a challenging condition, but you kind of grow dim. You become dumbed down. The mind, which the scripture said is at enmity with the things of the Spirit, will take control. And pretty soon, it will be calling the shots. And only you 
with the help of the Lord, but only you can make sure that the balance is proper and that the be-all, end-all of the passion in your life is going after what God wants at the right hand. Now, another term which we're not talking about today is agape or agab, and that's that's to breathe hard, the pursuit. But this term is the uh, the mindset, and this is very important for us. And I, I wonder. I was thinking this morning in prayer about the friend of the bridegroom, which John the Baptist was, and we really believe that we as we as saints are being asked to serve in that role. But when he speaks, quoting when Jesus describes John, quoting from Isaiah about um, preparing the way of the Lord, making the crooked places straight, the rough places smooth, every mountain brought low, every valley exalted, preparing the way of the Lord, we often think, okay, that's, that's our task. We're doing this for God so that things are ready for him to come and also so that the righteous nation can come. Yes, th- that, that's true. But as I was praying this morning, I felt the Lord impress upon me that it was also a, a mindset for the friend of the bridegroom. In your life, as you pursue the plan of God, the will of God and primarily the heart of God in partnership with Yahweh. You got to make sure that path is unencumbered. You got to make sure it's straight. Are there any mountains there? You got to make them low. Are there any divots or uh, diversions or detours? You got to smooth that out to prepare the way of the Lord for you to find him. So it's not just a task that we are offering to God like a road crew. I worked on a road crew one summer, believe it or not, while I was in college. I recognized that on that road crew, at any given time, there were only 20% of the people working. And a lot of times, 0% were working. But that's another story. But we, we have the responsibility as friends of the bridegroom to prepare the way for what God is wanting to do, but to make that way open for us to be with him. And you have a hard time serving God if your own way to him is filled with obstacles and divots and curves and crooked places and mountains and obstacles it's your job to keep that that freeway open to keep that that flow going because 
You remember what we've studied about unclean spirits. The term actually means to block the proper flow. And there are a lot of things that can block us from fulfilling what God wants at the right hand. And you know, even, uh, even when you come into a time of prayer, even when you come into a time where you've set aside your agenda to love God and to hear from Him and to spend time with Him. Even in that, you've, you've got to pare away the things of the world. Some people just have a hard time with it. I, I think everybody does. Unless you're just so wired that as soon as you step in, boom. People like atmospheres of the anointing or when there's a, a bunch of other people seeking because it's easy for them to just get in and ollie ollie in free. But life isn't that way most of the time, is it? Of course it's not. You woke up this morning, there weren't, there weren't 50 people shouting in tongues having visions of angels. And you didn't probably have the room lit up with the glory. Maybe you did. God bless you if you did. But for me, I have to, you know, it's like a ritual bath. <laughs> you, you have to cleanse yourself and get your mind right. And even with the Advent, I remember when we first started praying many years ago, we didn't have iPhones. I remember when Blackberries came on the scene. But, boy, iPhones or Samsung or whatever you have with the screen or an iPad or dare I say, a laptop. That's like having your big screen TV in the palm of your hand. And sometimes it's hard to, to wrench that out of people's hands. I mean, they're there praying and you see this glow on their face. Or somebody who does not care that you're praying. They, that, just, uh, that just precious one has to talk to you right then and boom, you're out. What if we did that? What if you went on your first date with somebody that you really liked and all you did was look at your phone. You think that might be your last day. Or what if they did that to you? I remember going many, a few years ago to a restaurant. And I looked over to a booth across from where I was sitting. And there were two young people. They were obviously on a date. They weren't brother and sister. But I guess the conversation somewhat dried up. And both of them had their phones right in front of their face. I, they may have been texting one another. I don't know. But I thought a bomb could go off in the middle of that table and neither one of them would know because they're so engrossed in their phone. I mean, you will not find God when you set aside your time to pray if that's your passion. And it's just, it's tempting. That phone buzzes or it dings or you think of something and boom, you go there. Now, sometimes I'll sense something. I keep my phone nearby um, so that I can pull up a verse or, or quickly scan something, but I'll put it right back down because it's just too tempting. I'm not loving the right hand of God and the fulfillment of what he says in the way the scripture says I'm supposed to be doing it. So sometimes 
it's good for us, well, I think regularly it's good for us to say, do I really love the truth? Do I really love the right hand? Do I really love that fulfillment of what God is wanting to do there? Is it my priority? And, you know, then, then you have people say, well, I've never seen the right hand of God. You know, I've never had a vision of the throne. And so maybe it doesn't work for me. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. Whether, whether you've had a titillating experience or not doesn't validate or disvalidate what the Scripture says. And so you just have to believe. And then another thing, those of you who are Pentecostal, and you all should be, you need to be praying in the Spirit because that fuels you. It builds you up. It builds up your most holy faith. It speaks to God. It speaks about his mysterion. All of these things are scriptural. They're scripture, point by point. It's not optional. It's there, and we need every one of them. So if, if you're just in FaceTime or carpet time and you've had a hard day, you just want to bask in the presence of the Lord, well, that's all well and good. But that is not engaging in kingdom business. So love the truth. And I think it's so interesting in a sad way. The emphasis on what society calls truth today. And um, I, I don't understand how, um, how the spirit um, of God can be uh, um, being honored as um, the giver of truth when the real truth is the only truth. The truth is not whatever you want it to be. The truth is what God wants it to be. And the truth is what he's saying in his right hand. There's only one giver of truth. And it's not optional. It's not optional. So we, we see that the Spirit of the Lord is saying we should love the truth. And um, then we also love peace. Peace is the fulfillment of what God is saying. Peace is the fulfillment of what God is doing. Peace is the fulfillment of what our mission is. It's, it's also a completion. It's also a resolution. It's, it's, it, it involves a settlement. It involves restitution. And that's not really our objective, but we love that. When you engage in truth, the fulfillment of what God's saying, those other things are going to provide for us. And so today, we're going to be praying. And uh, we invite you to pray with us tonight. Um, let's believe that this month is a prophetic month. And let's believe that we are fulfilling what God says to do. And let's believe that we are, um, we're going to be seeing tremendous things coming. This is a Kairos moment. We need to pursue God 
We need to know his heart. We need to yield ourselves to him. And we, we, need to be, um, we need to be people that are not uh, negligent or giving it a half effort. That's why this month is dedicated as a month of prayer. We're, we're gathering each of these Wednesdays, but we're also doing prayer other times of the month congregationally. And we're believing that this is an offering to God of obedience to him. So let's, uh, let's love the truth and peace. Let's do whatever we can to investigate whether we really are what God has asked us to do and to be. And let's see that we are absolutely serving him because we have an anticipation of breakthrough. Let's believe for that. And so that's all we're going to do for now. Um, I believe that we have uh, um, we've touched what we needed to touch. We'll look forward to praying with all of you. And um, whether you're here in Dallas or not, let there be a um, let there be an understanding that we're all before the same throne, and um, it's the throne of God. So, God bless you. Thanks for tuning in. We look forward to being together with you uh, at the throne today. So, until next time, God bless.